Welcome to the FCC Podcast. Hear all the stories, worship, and teaching from Sunday service. Want to connect with us or learn more about FCC? Visit us at FCCETown.com.
Well, as we start this morning, we've had a number of folks asking uh, about how we can help and how we can be involved as a church and what we're going to be doing as a church in connection to uh, all the devastation that's taken place in our state. Um, and I want you to know that we've reached out to folks who are in Bowling Green. We've reached out even to, to some folks and are trying to make some contacts with people in Mayfield and even with some um, national organizations to figure out the, the best way to help. And right now, what we know is that the best thing that we can do right now is pray. And the other best thing that we can do right now is stay away for the moment and let first responders do what first responders do. And then we're gonna have an opportunity to help in the time to come. And so we're gonna let you know about that when we know what it is that, uh, that we can do and how we can help. But in the meantime, um, I just ask that we we be in prayer, in prayer for families uh, who have experienced uh, significant and, and unimaginable loss, be in prayer for those folks who are there trying to help in, in the midst of right now, and just ask that we be in prayer for all of that. And uh, I'm going to ask that we would start off our time this morning in, in prayer. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the, the, the blessing that we know in this community and the way that you have protected us. And yet, even as we thank you for that, we are reminded that there are uh, other parts of our state that have experienced um, unbelievable and unfathomable devastation and tragedy. And just ask that um, you would be in the midst of those moments and the days that follow, that you would provide peace and comfort and understanding and that you would provide uh, people and resources that come from places that can only be described as you. And God, we are mindful of the opportunity that we will have to help in the days ahead. But God, right now, we lift up those who have experienced so much loss in these last couple of days. And we lift them to you and we know that you are the great healer, that you are the great physician, and we would ask that in this time, even in the midst of tragedy and this devastation, that your truth and your love and your grace and your forgiveness would shine through in the middle of all of this, that that would be far superior to um, what has been lost. God, we, just, we thank you so much for the blessings that you continue to pour out on our lives and the presence of your grace and your love and your forgiveness and your mercy, all provided to us and for us by Jesus. And it is in his name that we pray, amen. Well today, um, we're gonna talk about difficult people. Okay, all of us know difficult people. We ourselves are not difficult people, but we know other people who are difficult people. And the truth is that as we go into this season, we are entering into a season where there are going to be difficult people who are in your house, and difficult people who are sitting around your table, and, and difficult people who are going to be part of your season at Christmas. But maybe that's not you. Maybe as you look at it, you, you just can't seem to come up with anybody that you would label as difficult in your life. And so if everybody who is going to be sitting around your table, everyone who's going to be in your house during the Christmas season is a person of enormous emotional intelligence and relational maturity, 
Okay, if, if there is nobody around your table who is hard for you to track with, if there's nobody who's gonna be in your season um, that, that, that's going to provide any kind of difficult conflict, okay, if, if nobody gets uncomfortably sarcastic during this time of year, if, if nobody talks too much or drinks too much or smokes too much or brags too much or is too opinionated, if the kids who are at your Christmas gathering have always felt only encouraged by their parents at every turn and have never ever experienced any undue pressure of any type, if the parents that are going to be at your Christmas gathering have always felt nothing but joy for the choices that their children have made, the choices that they've made with friendships, and the choices that they've made in relationships, and the choices that they've made to study, and the choices that they've made in staying up too late, and the choices that they've made with their jobs, and their careers, and their spouse. If there's never been any job problems, and there's no insults that are gonna fly, and there's no crying babies that are gonna be there, and, and, and there's never gonna be any no-shows because somebody just didn't wanna come to Christmas this year because it's just too far away if there's just never any difficulty for you in your family, amongst your friend groups, then this is a message that's probably not meant for you. But I'm glad you're here. Thank you for joining us. Thank you for gathering together with the rest of us who live in the real world. Can I just tell you that from the very beginning, the very first moment that Jesus was on the planet, he knew what it was like to have difficult people in his life. And at Christmas, so many people have this very unrealistic, very cleaned up, very antiseptic view of the manger scene and the world into which Jesus was born. But just look at the people who were part of Jesus' life right off the bat. And look at how they kind of compare with some of those folks who are gonna be in your, room, in your house this year, in, sitting around your table this year, who are gonna be part of your season this year, because we're all gonna have people who are sitting at the table who are disappointed people. Maybe because of something that they've recently gone through in life or, or maybe relationships that just didn't work out or maybe just the, the, the culmination of all the things that have transpired in the last couple of years and you're gonna have people who are sitting at the table who are gonna say things like, man, I just wish life had turned out better than it has. I just wish things had turned out different for me somewhere along the way or I, I just wish that my life was like it was 10 years ago because the last 10 years have just been rotten. And they're gonna say those things in kind of their Debbie Downer voice with this unbelievable ability to infect everybody else in your gathering and everybody else in your room and their heads will go down and they'll start talking in lower tones and it just becomes infectious. Those same folks were at the first Christmas. See, there was this couple named Zachariah and Elizabeth and the Bible doesn't tell us a lot of things about them, but one of the, or a few of the things that we do know is that they were old, that's one. They were also servants of God and had spent their life serving God as best they could, but that they were also a couple who had no kids and they had wanted kids, but they had never had children. And there is pain in that. And there's disappointment in that. And some of you know that pain. And some of you know the, 
the fact that at Christmas time that, that pain is just amplified. And in the ancient world, in the midst of all of the pain that goes along with that, added to it is the fact that in the ancient world it was believed that the reason that you don't have kids is because there's something wrong between you and God. That there's a relationship problem there that, 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 that the reason that you don't have kids is because he's displeased with you. And the reason that you don't have kids is that you don't have enough faith. And then the angel comes to Zechariah and says to Zechariah, Zechariah, you and Elizabeth, you're, you're finally going to have a child. And Zechariah said this. Zechariah said to the angel, how can I be sure of this? I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. I think it's very interesting that insight on the wisdom of Zechariah calls himself old. His wife is just well along in years. Very different description. But because Zechariah says this, a little later on, the angel responds back to Zechariah and says, now Zechariah, you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words. And sometimes you, you just can't help who you are. Zechariah was disappointed in life because he, he didn't have kids. And then he's disappointed in life because he's going to have kids. And sometimes disappointment is just who people are. And, and disappointed people are, are part of the season. And, and so are stressed people. And maybe that's you. Okay? Maybe, maybe you're the stressed person in your Christmas story this year. Maybe it's trying to pull all the pieces together or there's things that have already happened that have added stress or there's things that are coming that are adding stress and there's stuff to get ready for that's adding stress and there's still shopping to be done which is adding stress and you can't remember where you hid something and that's adding stress and you're, not, you're waiting on the Amazon package to show up and you've been tracking it for two weeks but you're still not sure if it's gonna get here on time and that adds stress and, and there's just part of the season that's stress. And you don't have to look too far into the manger scene to find stress. Mary and Joseph were stressed. Now, in our manger scene that we have at home, most of them have Mary and Joseph with these serene and blissful um, expressions on their face. All is calm. All is bright. But just consider the snapshot that that manger scene is of their life, in real life. Mary is probably 13 or 14 years old when she gets engaged. And then this is what we're told takes place after that. Before they came together, she was found to be pregnant. And because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law and yet did not want to expose her to public disgrace, he had in mind to divorce her quietly. Now we read through that and we know that's part of the story, but have you read between the lines? Because reading between the lines, what we figure out here is that Mary's very young and she's found to be pregnant. Joseph knows he's never been with her, but now she's pregnant and he's heard her story, but he's decided that being a good man, he doesn't want to cause a big commotion, but he is, because of the law, going to divorce her quietly, which means he doesn't believe her story. He doesn't buy what she's selling that this child that is to come is 
not because of another man that's been in her life, but this is the son of God. And then Joseph gets a visit from an angel, and the angel tells him that the story is true. And so Joseph has to go back to Mary and say, yeah, remember that divorce thing? We're not going to do that anymore, because I believe you now. And if you know anything about relationships, my guess is that that conversation did not go smoothly, because he didn't believe her in the first place. He didn't believe her when he should have believed her, because she is his, his wife, and, and instead, He's going to believe her after he gets a visit from an angel. So there's stress in their house. But that's not the only stress. Psychology has the the Holmes and Ray stress index. This stress index, and you've probably heard bits and pieces of it before, kind of highlights certain points of life, certain activities that can happen, certain events that take place. And because those events are stressful for everybody, it assigns a certain number value to all of those stressful events. And the number value that gets assigned then gets added up with all the things that are happening in your life. And what the professionals have figured out is that if your stress index goes over 300 in all of the stress events that you're dealing with at one time, you are 80% more likely to have some type of um, health episode happen to your life physically because of the stress that you're going through. Well, there was a guy named David Slagle who put Mary and Joseph in this particular snapshot of time through the stress index just to see what their number looked like. One of the big ones on the event category is recently married. Recently married. Does that apply for Mary and Joseph? Absolutely it does. That gains them 50 points right off the bat. Loss of job. Yep, that happened for Joseph because he had to leave Nazareth and go to Bethlehem and he left a whole bunch of carpentry jobs behind. Pregnancy can be a stressful event. Does that apply to them? Yeah. Major financial change, for sure. In-law troubles. Just think about that one for a second. First of all, there's Mary who is being taken away by Joseph to a foreign place. His in-laws probably aren't super happy. There's Joseph's parents who have heard this story that Mary is trying to put out there and they can tell that she's pregnant and they're not really sure what's going on and they they aren't getting the full story and they're they're just suspicious. So I'm pretty sure there's some in-law troubles that are happening within this family. A move can be a stressful event. They had to go from Nazareth to Bethlehem and they didn't even know yet, but they were gonna have to go on to Egypt for the next two years. They probably didn't pack for all of that. Gain a new family member. Well, that certainly happens. Major business adjustment, for sure. Outstanding achievement can be an event that brings stress into your life. Did they have an outstanding achievement? Mary gave birth to the son of God. Okay, pretty good achievement. Stress. Major holiday, well, they invented Christmas, enough said. Um, Targeted for execution by an egomaniacal dictator. Well, that one's not actually on the stress test, but it happened for them. And what Slagle figured out after he put all the pieces together is that conservatively, what they're going through at this particular time in their relationship together is well north of 450 points on the stress index. There is stress with this couple who are the first people in Jesus' life. 
but there will be others in your season. People who are just um, different people. Their, their values are different. Their, their culture is different. Their personalities are different and they are staying at your house. And they are sitting around your table. And those people were part of the Christmas story too. They were called magi. And the magi are termed that from a, a word that we kind of bring into the picture and, and it's where we get magic from. These are people who thought very differently than Mary and Joseph. Matthew says that they came from the east, probably Persia, maybe ancient Babylon or somewhere in that direction. They didn't worship Israel's God. They were very involved in astrology. They were following a star, a star that they had seen when they had been looking in the, the night sky at all the stars because it's something that they studied over and over again, not just to kind of see the alignment of planets, but to kind of predict how things are going to work in the world. Astrology was one of those mystical practices that was forbidden in Israel. These are different people. And there are gonna be different people around your table this season. People who are politically different. People who are socially different. Relationally different. Spiritually different. Morally different different than you. Now last week we talked about the shepherds and we kind of went into a deep dive on, on how they were perceived in the culture and you can go back and watch that if you haven't seen it yet but it just not to go too deep but who are the shepherds in the people who are gonna be sitting in your house? Well they're the embarrassing people, okay? We all have embarrassing people who are gonna be sitting at our house at some point this season. That's who the shepherds were. Remember they're the ones that are on all the rabbis list for people to stay away from and, and not connect with because shepherds were considered to be untrustworthy. These are the people that when you have them over to the house, you don't put out the good silverware. Or if you do, you count every piece when you're putting it away, you know what I mean? These are the people that, it, the stuff that you want to hang on to and you don't want to disappear, you don't even leave it out when you know these people are coming over. And remember, that's how Mary and Joseph still thought about the shepherds when they showed up. These are untrustworthy people. And so you gotta think that Mary had some glances that she was throwing at Joseph like, hey, Keep an eye on the baby, you know? Don't, is the baby still in the main? Don't let them take the baby, Joseph. And then there's the untactful people. In your gatherings or maybe at a party that you go to or maybe the folks that are gonna be sitting around your table on Christmas Day, there, there's always this moment where somebody says something and they say the wrong thing or they say something in the wrong way and it makes everybody awkward and everyone uncomfortable. There's a story like that in the first Christmas as well. Mary and Joseph took Jesus to the temple to be dedicated, just a few days after his birth, and they encounter an old guy named Simeon. Now, as they go to the temple, just put yourself in Mary's shoes for just a moment. She's like 14 years old. She has a new baby. She's recently married. 
And she's now residing in a place that will not be her home for long. She knows that. It's an unfamiliar, strange place with strange people all around. And she actually doesn't know what the next step is going to be and where they're going to be in the next week or the next month or the next year. And she is doing her absolute best at 14 years old to hold it all together as they come to the temple. And as they do, this guy named Simeon who's not great at reading the room and understanding the stress that she's feeling, gives this prophecy. He says, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. As he looks into the eyes of Mary. Have a good day. Good luck with the kid. That's who you got. And she's going to live with that for the rest of her life. Those are the people to whom Jesus is first introduced during his time on the planet. He lived in the real world. He lived among real people, and he lived among really difficult people. And in every case, because this would be true for the rest of his time here on earth, and in every case when he dealt with really difficult people, he gave to them. He gave gifts to them. And during this season, with the people who will be around your table and the people who will be in your house, you have the same opportunity here at Christmas. You're going to have these people who are in your life. You're going to have these people who are in your home. You're going to have these people who are in your season and at your table. And what can you give them? Well, no surprise, but I think Jesus gives us very clearly gifts that we can give to those who are difficult in our life. Gifts that we can pass on to them as Jesus had passed them on as well. Very specifically to difficult people. Now when John talks about the Christmas story, he doesn't give the details that we know as part of the Christmas story. Matthew and Luke give us all the details about the Christmas story. They're the ones that tell us about the shepherds and the manger and tell us about the wise men or the magi and and tell us about all the different parts of, of the story of Christmas that we tell as a narrative. But John, he summed up Christmas in just a few words as he said this. He said, the word, that's Jesus, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And right there we have two of the gifts that Jesus has given to us for us to give to the people who are in our life. Jesus is full of grace. And Jesus gave grace all the time. There was a woman who was brought to Jesus and she had been caught in adultery is how she's kind of labeled to him. It's possible that she was trapped in adultery and the religious leaders wanted to stone her, wanted to condemn her. And Jesus said, okay, sounds like a plan. 
Let whoever among you is without sin be the first one to throw a stone. Go ahead. And one by one, they all left. And then Jesus looked to this woman and he said, where are they? Where are all those people who were accusing you? Is nobody here to condemn you? And she sheepishly said, no, no one, sir. To which Jesus said, I don't condemn you either. Because Jesus had also said that God sent his son into the world not to condemn the world, not to judge the world, but to save the world through him. Jesus is full of grace. And it is that grace that has been extended to us that we get to give to others. Now, some people are just born grateful. And some people are just born joyful, right out of the womb. Okay, they're just grateful, gracious, positive, always find the good kind of people. And then there are other people who are always whining and complaining. And who on the other end of the spectrum, are really ready to judge somebody at a moment's notice. Well, a guy who is way smarter than me was reading a neuroscience journal, and I happened to read what he wrote about what he had read in the neuroscience journal that he read. And I wanted to explain all of that only because I didn't want you to think that I was in the habit of reading neuroscience journals in my spare time. Just, that's not part of my regular rotation of reading, but it was for this guy. And what he found in the, the journal report is that really grateful and gracious people are actually scientifically proven to be gracious and grateful because of the makeup of who they are because of the, 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 the genetics that they have. And what causes this is a variation of a particle gene known as CD38. It is a mutation of this gene that is associated with a heightened capacity for gratitude. Which means that nobody deserves to be this gracious and nobody deserves to kind of have this outlook on life. But some of you have always been grateful your whole life. You are the people who are always able to see the good in every person and in every situation. And you are the people who are positive people. You, you, you find positive in every moment. And you are the people that even in the most dire of moments and dire of circumstances, you are able to find and deliver grace in the hardest moments. And if you're like that, you've probably wondered why. You've noticed that not everybody is like this, and you're kind of wondering why you're that way. And now science has proven it. You are a mutant. That's why you are the way you are. You just came out that way. And even right now, even as I say that, you're thinking to yourself, oh, what a blessing it is that I have this mutated gene within me. I am so honored 
I'm so blessed, I'm so happy that that's who I am, that this is, I'm so grateful for this gene that's been passed on to me. And if you're on the other end of the spectrum and you're one of the whiny people and the judgy people, you're thinking to yourself right now, it's a gene? Well, why didn't I get the gene? What's up with that? Why, how's he more favored than I am? This isn't fair. Why is this happening? This isn't, shouldn't be happening to me. This isn't fair at all. This should happen to me. I should get that gene because you're ready to complain. And that's just who you are. But here's the thing. It doesn't matter what gene you have. Because you have the power and you have the opportunity to give grace. To give grace to difficult people who are in your life. To give grace to some folks who are different than you, who are gonna be in your house this season. And I don't care how much people have, and I don't care how, uh, uh, how much achievement they have acquired over life and how put together they seem. There is nobody in your life who doesn't need grace. And you can be a giver of grace. See, we don't know people's backgrounds. We don't know their wounds, we don't know their hurts, we don't know their scars, we don't know their story from childhood that's led them to kind of become the people that they are, and yet we assume we can judge people, and we assume that we actually do know them, and that we do actually understand what they're going through, but we don't. We don't know. Only God knows. And when I give grace to someone, I recognize that I don't know. And what I'm saying when I give grace is that, look, I don't know your whole story. But I want to love you. And I don't know your background, and I don't know your wounds, and I don't know your scars. But I want to be there for you. And I want to accept you. And that's grace. And Jesus is full of grace. But not just grace. He's also full of truth. Jesus gave both because both are actually necessary. Grace without truth isn't enough for us to grow in. But truth can be really hard. Truth can be hard to, to express. And truth can be hard to share. But Paul said that we remain children we remain infants, we remain toddlers, we remain immature, we remain underdeveloped as people when we aren't willing to speak truth and grace. When we aren't willing to give grace with truth. Ephesians chapter four, verse 15, here's what Paul says. Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will in all things grow up into him who is the head, that is Christ. We're going to grow up. We want to become more and more like Jesus. But if we're going to do that, we can't do that without grace or love. And, and we can't do that without truth. The first gift that we have to give is grace. And we can give that grace in the actions of our life or even in the words that come out of our mouth. But the second gift is truth. And we can give that gift as well. Because there are, are going to be people 
who are in your home, who are sitting at your table, who are part of your season, there's going to be somebody who has been hurting people. And there's going to be somebody who interacts in ways that are just awkward. Or they talk too much. Or they're clingy. Or they're needy. Or they've done things that are unfair and damaging and harmful and dishonest. And it's not that they've done one thing. It's not that it's just one moment that's taken place. It's that this is a repeated pattern and this is who they are and this is the character that they have. And maybe everybody who's sitting at your table already knows that that's just who they are. Here's the question. Will anybody love them enough this season to give them grace and truth? But then there's a third gift that's a bit of a companion to both of these other two. It's a gift that Jesus gave over and over and over again. And it's the gift of time. See, I can give people grace enough to love them and I can give them truth enough so that they can look in the mirror and see reality. But when it comes to me as the gift giver, I get so impatient when it comes to the people who are in my life, because I want those people to change like that. And you want people to change like that. It takes time for grace and truth to take root. See, someone who's living their life and has lived their life without grace, without the grace of Jesus in their life, it means they have been living for years surrounded by fear and unrealistic expectations of how the world interacts with them and, and, and how people are supposed to interact with them. And yet we want them, after one act of kindness or one gracious thing that we kind of throw their direction, for them to just wake up the next morning and suddenly they are completely transformed. And they are completely turned over and they are fully in on grace. Or we have somebody who's just been frustrating us and someone who has frustrated us maybe for decades of time. And we finally get up the guts and the patience to say truth to them with love. And yet even though we, we've gotten it out and even though it's been put out there, we, we tend to have this, this desire that you know, they, they better make this radical change in their life different from how they have been for decades of time just after this one conversation. And what we're hoping for is that they're going to get up from our Christmas table and they're going to be a different person than they ever were before. And if it doesn't happen, then we just say to ourselves, well, I tried. I gave it a shot. Just like I thought, they're never going to change. Time is a gift. Give them time. Jesus tells this great story in Luke chapter 13. It's a story that I don't hear mentioned a whole lot, and I'm not sure if that's because we don't fully understand the story or if it's because we do understand the story and we just don't like to talk about it. But Luke chapter 13, Jesus tells the story of a, a man who had planted a fig tree in his vineyard. And after three years, there are no figs on the tree, never have been. 
And so he calls over his gardener, the gardener of the vineyard, and he says, that's it, cut the tree down. I've waited long enough, this is not happening, this tree is no good, get rid of it. And the gardener says, no, 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 not yet. Let's give it one more season. Don't cut the tree down. Let me dig around it, let me fertilize it. I'm still working on it. Let's not cut it down quite yet. The gardener in the story is, of course, God. And God is still at work. He's still at work on the people who are going to be around your table at Christmas. So give grace and give truth and give time. And as you give these gifts, just realize that you're not actually in charge of those gifts that you're giving. God is the one who's at work on the tree, just like he's at work on you and he's at work on me. He's actually the one who is giving grace. He's actually the one who is giving truth. He's actually the one who is giving time. But we get to be the conduits through which those gifts are given. They're the exact same gifts that Jesus gave to you and that he's given to me. He was born in a manger and he lived with disappointed people and he lived with stressed out people and he lived with embarrassing people and he lived with different people and he gave them grace and he gave them truth and he gave them time. And then he went to a cross. And he stretched out his arms to give the gifts of grace and truth for all time. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. And we thank you for the truth that has to be shared with us so that we understand the need that we have for your grace. And God, as we go through this season, may we recognize in the midst of the moments where we get frustrated and impatient with the people who are part of our season. Help us to extend to them the gifts that you have given to us. That we would show grace and that we would show truth. That we would give time. And God, we thank you that with the presence of Jesus in our life, we know grace and we know the truth. And we know of a time that we get to spend for eternity in your presence. Where there is no sadness and there are no tears there is no stress. There's joy and there's worship forever. God, we thank you for the love and the grace and the mercy and the forgiveness that you have extended to us through Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. Amen. I'm going to ask that you'd stand with me this morning. Maybe you're here today 
and you've never said yes to the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And maybe today needs to be that day that you say yes to him. Today needs to be the day that you walk right down these aisles while we're singing, say yes to Jesus and you're baptized in his name. Or maybe you wanna be a part of this family, this church here at First Christian Church. We'd love to have you with us. But if you have a decision to make this morning, we invite you to walk down the aisles. We have folks who will be here to talk with you and pray with you and discuss those things with you. But for the rest of us, we have an opportunity to worship. Worship the one who has given us the gifts of grace and truth and time repeatedly, not only in the stories of the Bible, but in our own lives. And we celebrate our King as we lift our voices in praise to him. Let's sing together. Thank you.